your girl Bella Michaels and today I got a very very special guest on um, just catching up with one of my personal favorites someone who's been there for me as a mentor since the very beginning of my sports journalism career as a student Um, he was my professor at DePaul and I was a guest um, on his podcast House of L and that was actually the last time we had spoken on an actual interview so this time I'm interviewing him again but not just about his career but about how life has been for him during COVID just in the Chicago sports media world and how he's been you know dealing with everything during you know a pandemic and protests and everything we went through so Um, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. He also came in and we did this talk literally after the um, Tiger Woods news broke. So he goes into explaining about that. So enjoy it. You're about to listen to the Lawrence Holmes, ladies and gents. A lot has happened since the last time you and I have spoken. It was on your pod, House of L. Um, It was really, really cool. But who would have thought that back then, you know, if you told us we'd endure what we endured this last year with COVID and protests and all this crazy stuff that are that we had to deal with, um, we would have probably never thought it would happen. So today I'm thankful that you're on and we're talking, but we're going to talk more like when we were on House of L, we talked more about your career in general and like, you know, and all that. And I want to talk about how you've been this past year. You know, and obviously, you know, coming onto this call, you're like, oh, there's breaking news and we have to cover, you know, with Tiger Woods. So how did that go before I even start with with everything else? Well, it was one of those things where you see the story kind of going on Twitter. Like you see people talking about Tiger Woods' accident on Twitter and I'm doing a talk show. So I'm literally talking about Alan Robinson while I'm reading about what's going on with Tiger Woods. And so to me, it's important to get the the best information out to the public, meaning sources that I know have been vetted that take their information dissemination very seriously. So I started looking for different media outlets that I felt were trustworthy or reporters that I, I felt were trustworthy in trying to get the story out to people. Now, it's all happening in real time And in real time, I'm also getting listeners who are texting me, have you heard about the Tiger Woods story? Like all of this stuff. And I I think that it's really important that if you're going to talk about a story like that, that you do it in the most responsible way because you're, you're essentially talking about a life or death situation. Right. So you you want to be careful about what you say, how you say it and how you cover the story and it's it's a weird thing for news outlets to do and it's really interesting inside the sports space because most sports outlets now have kind of gutted their news department so whereas before a place like fox sports one or espn had someone that they could go to had a whole department of people that they could go to 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 get information on the story you're now interrupting specialty programming like the jump, for example, and then asking Rachel Nichols to tap dance and, and, and try to do justice to the story that needs to be told on the flip side of that, you have 
CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. I checked them out before we jumped on the Zoom. They're going wall to wall with the coverage, but the it only takes really like one cycle of here's what happened. Here's what we know. And then after that, you're just repeating yourself or you're you're digging into aspects of the story that you probably don't have great information or sourcing on. So it's it's important to to really vet. I mean, I, I was I watched CNN for two minutes and the, this right now, the story is should be reported as Tiger Woods was in a car accident. His agent said that it was a one car accident. He suffered multiple leg injuries and is in surgery. Then you can cross reference that with what the fire department said. But beyond that, like that's the news. Yeah. Now the rest of it is about us trying to bring context to the story. And that's where I think people can get tripped up when you live in a 24 hour like news cycle in, in the land of 24 hour media companies. There's a programming element that has to be programmed like you have to fill. I hate that term, but you have to fill the time. And, and to me, that's the danger. The danger is how do we go about filling the time on air? And usually that leads to rampant speculation and it's a dangerous, dangerous game. Right. So then how do you, how do you go about not doing that? Cause sometimes, like you said, you have to fill in that context because it happened, but something, you know, may have happened before and that could totally be not what happened this time, but you sort of do, it comes up in the conversation. It does. And that's where you have to have the standards and practices of your particular network become really important. I think, and, and I've done both jobs. I've been a reporter and now I'm a talk show host. One of the biggest problems is the blurring of the job description where I'm a talk show host. I'm there to create conversation, to give my opinion. And if I blur into the area of reporting, like I know, I know how to do it. Like I know how to flip the switch in myself and do it where this is what we know. This is how we know it. These are the facts as we know them versus, well, I wonder if this has anything to do with this, or I wonder if that's, that's dangerous territory for plenty of us that work in media, capital M, and especially those of us who work in sports media that don't have uh, a, a reporting background. For sure. For sure. So then, Let's go back to this whole year and you. Um, what has been the most difficult aspect or moment of this past year for you that you had to like overcome? Because we all had those moments this past year. Um, honestly, like I, I'm going to go with something physical. Um, I hurt my back in December. I'm not sure how, but I did. It, it was so bad that. I couldn't put on my own socks. Like that's how, like I had to, I had to go and get a yoga band to be able to like bend my leg far enough back that I could put my sock on. So that was hard. And I think that it's directly related to what's going on inside the pandemic where I became less mobile. 
Like I was, I wasn't going up and down stairs every day. Like my office was 20 feet away. So I was just walking from the bedroom to the kitchen, to the living room, to the office. And because of that, you end up with what I consider to be some bad habits that come out of it. Like you're not, your, your body just kind of like, for me, at least it, it kind of atrophies. And then it's been almost two months and now I'm finally starting to feel like myself. Like I kind of ramped back up slowly where it's like, well, let's figure out how we can bend first. Like how far can we bend down? Like that sort of thing. Then you start doing a little bit of yoga and then you start doing a little bit of strength training. I actually found for me throughout the summer, one of the best stress relievers for me was riding my bike. I rode, I did a charity event where I rode like 250 miles in two weeks. I rode from my house in Hyde Park to Soldier Field, then from Soldier Field to Wrigley, then from Wrigley to Sox Park, and then back. It was a 30-mile like round trip. It's pretty cool. So that was one of my big stress relievers. And I brought my bike inside and got a bike trainer, like connected it to a bike trainer. So I had like a low rent Peloton type <laughs> thing going on uh, in the house. And that was the thing that kind of brought me back, like being able to to be a little bit more active. That's the that was the thing that physically was the biggest challenge for me to come back from emotionally and mentally. I think all of us are still going through it. And I'm not sure that any of us is going to know the true damage that was done to us until much later on. Not being able to hug my mom, like that's rough. And you know, I went to go see my parents yesterday, but the natural interaction that you have with other human beings, it's changed. And, and it, I know that it's, it's, it's changed me. Mm-hmm. I think that some of my what are usually pretty good social graces that I have, they're out the window. Like I'm afraid of everything and I'm afraid of coming into contact with people. And I really miss that. Like, I think human beings need that. Like, even if it's as simple as my executive producer, Herbie, like dapping up my executive producer, when I see him in the afternoon, like that's just all that stuff's just gone. Like it's not doing that anymore. You're not even like, you're not hugging people either. None, None of that. No, not at all. Like it's, and it's going to take after most of us get vaccinated. I still think that it's going to take some time to kind of get back to some of that human interaction that was really important to us before things got started. No, for sure. That's, that's a hundred percent true. I, and I actually relate to all of that, the physical and emotional part, you know, so, and we, we talked about that last week, so I won't, I won't get into the whole. <laughs> it's hard to disconnect though. I mean, it's hard to disconnect that, that some of the physical stuff is a manifestation of what's been going on with us mentally and emotionally. And it's, it's really difficult. I'll say this, the, us living in Chicago, like the last two days has been significant for us <laughs> because it felt like you could actually go outside and breathe the air. And there was a little bit of warmth and sunshine. 
So that that I think helps as we close in on a year. I remember, God, like it, the Bella. You know what's really crazy is it the way that time is moving. It feels like simultaneously time is moving so fast and so slow. Yes. Like I'm thinking back and I'm like, wait, that was last year. No, it was the year. Like, I feel like last year was actually the year before that because last Mm -hmm. year just is canceled in my mind. Like I, it just doesn't exist. Like I don't want to even count it as anything. Well, what's what, what to (laughs) me is, is, is I keep thinking back to this is it's 11 months ago, I think, like almost to the day. 11 months ago, the communications department was pulled into a meeting. And our director of online, Joanne Martin, who's incredible, like honestly, I, I, don't, I don't know if the university has a, an award high enough for what she accomplished for us. She pulled us into a meeting and she said, okay, we're moving the curriculum online. Here's how we suggest that you do it. I was lucky. I I had had an online experience at the University of Alabama for my master's degree. So I kind of understood how all of this was going to work. I didn't know whether or not I could teach it. And that was a concern. You've taken my class. My class is is hands-on. You know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be an interaction between me and the class. And, and there's a lot that you can teach inside of a studio that's more difficult to do when you're trying to do it over Zoom. Yeah. And I wasn't the only professor that felt that way. There were other professors like, there's no way I can do my class the way that I've done my, or this new way, considering the way that I've done my class. So she, she really did an incredible job of like wrangling us. And in some cases, just saying your students need you. You have students who are going to graduate. They need this course in spring quarter. And that's amen to that because it's true. It is true. And, and but, but that was almost a year ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And that was the last time. That was the last group setting that I was in was I think it was March 18th. March 17th or 18th at, at the, that was the last group setting I was in to get this. I went from in the four weeks previous to that. I went from or six weeks previous to that. I went from the Super Bowl to spring training to, to the all-star game to spring training to that. It was, it was crazy. Like I was in Miami and it's made me look like the pandemic has made me look at everything that's happened since. And I go, wait, I remember being sick when I got back from Miami. Did I have COVID? It would have been a perfect place for COVID to exist because reporters are coming from all around the world. And I was on Radio Row. And I remember being really sick for three days after I got back from covering the Super Bowl. And I'm just like, what? What was that? Like, was that it? Like, what was going on? And now, just to see the changes that's happened in the way that we cover sports, along with the way that we 
we try and teach classes and try to interact with students has been a real learning experience for sure. Well, yeah, for sure. And I was, that goes on to like, say, how do you think the sports media world, especially like in Chicago has changed because of this? There's some good and some bad with it. The good part is I think most teams tried really hard to create an environment where you could get access to athletes and decision makers. So once everyone fell, think about this a year ago, 90% of Americans had no idea what zoom was. I was one of them. Yeah. Didn't know. No idea. Like I had been recording podcasts on zoom. So I, I kind of knew what it was, but God, I wish I would have bought some stock in it. I should have bought stock in it, but most teams have done a good job of making players available via zoom and that's good, but they, they get to control the messaging now more than ever before teams can just not call on reporters that they think are going to ask a, a tough question of an athlete or a coach or a general manager. I do like that there is some democracy in and there and and there's something to players really getting a sense for who the reporters are. Like a lot of players have joked about what goes on in the background of a reporter who's asking their question. Like they see their face, like they actually legitimately are looking at the reporter versus like looking over their head or just waiting for the, the question to, to be done. So I think that that's good. But the, the negative part of it is you're not getting the full story of, of, of the connections that take place inside of locker rooms. Most great stories that come out of a locker room happen because of the work that a reporter does to foster a relationship with the athlete. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those conversations are not on microphone. Those are conversations that you're having with someone about pop culture, or you're taking the time to talk with that person about something without necessarily wanting something from him. Instead of putting the microphone up to them, and asking, hey, you know, what do you think about tonight's starting pitcher? Something like that. You can ask, hey, I've noticed over the last couple of weeks you're you change your stance. Like, how did that come about? And then it's a more open conversation because it's not on the microphone. People aren't as tense as they are when they are trying to answer a question in front of a bunch of cameras and in front of microphones. So I think that that's for the relationship between team athlete and media. Those are some of the things that I think are important teams overall. I have a lot of friends who work for teams in a bunch of different franchises in Chicago, and they've had to kind of rewrite the book on how all of this works. A lot of what they do is based around people coming to the ballpark, the rink, the basketball court. How do you engage your fan base when you can't have a fan convention, like there's no Cubs convention, no Sox fest in this year. How do you engage when you can do that? How do you keep people connected? And we've seen an uptick in 
viral videos, social media posts, different things like that from teams. And I think it's smart. It's a smart way to stay engaged as we kind of slowly crawl back towards venues, allowing people to, to, to go and be a part of it. For sure. So then if there's something that you would change personally that you, you had the power to change about the Chicago sports media like scene, what would it be? Hmm. It'll be easier now because the weather is getting better. Some of this stuff is just unavoidable. Like you can't you can't have a press conference outside when it's negative five degrees. Like you can't do it. But I I hope that as we get closer and closer to spring and summer that some of these events are taken off zoom and it's, and it's face to face. I have a friend who works in Phoenix, Sierra Santos, and she covered her first in-person press conference yesterday. The manager of the diamondbacks spoke socially distant. They were outside at the facility and the reporters were probably 20 feet away from the manager, stuff like that, like that needs to come back. Like that, that connection is really hard to, to replicate. And now that we know what some of the better practices are to stay safe or be as safe as we can, we can take some of those steps toward it. Um, that would probably be the most, to me, the most important thing. And then the, the fight to get fans back into buildings I'm interested to see how that's going to work and how it looks in Chicago because Chicago has been pretty strict about that activity and how will they change with the landscape around them? It, it, it'll be interesting to see how it works. For sure. And like earlier we were talking about in the beginning about the whole Tiger Woods situation and you having to be careful on like how you're going to report this news as a, you know, sports host, you know, on radio. So you like last year, throwing it back to last year, again, just this whole crazy year, you had an emotional moment on the score talking about, you know, surrounding the killing of George Floyd. And you were discussing, you know, a very sensitive topic. And you have always been really good at handling those type of situations because you carry yourself, you know, you, you handle it respectfully, you share your opinion, but you're not, you know, going crazy. So how do you like go about when you're, when you're doing that, does the score like try to, or anywhere that you've worked, do they try to censor you or monitor you in any way? Or do you have the freedom at this point in your career to just, you know, turn on, turn on the switch and be like, I'm going to talk about what I'm going to talk about. I don't think that it has anything to do with, um, with me. Like, I don't think that it's Lawrence gets away with whatever he wants to do on the air. Like, I don't think it's that. I, I'm really proud of what our station accomplished throughout the summer, through the spring and summer. And, and let, let me explain. We're a sports station. Like we're based on what goes on inside the sports world. Well, March 11th sports went away. Like it went away. It was not, I, I joke that DePaul is the national champion because they won the last college basketball game that was played. <laughs> in, in, in 2020, they won the last one. So they're the national champions. But we are reliant on what's happening in the sports world. And if you take the first two weeks of lockdown, we were doing shows that was all about, okay, 
college basketball just stopped playing. The NBA just stopped playing. MLB just stopped training camps. What happens with the, so that was, we did all the perfunctory, like news gathering aspect of it. But now it's April and now there's no sports being played anywhere. How do you go about programming a sports station that way? We, I thought as a, and not just us, I want to give credit to the folks at our, our competitor, um, 1000. I thought, I thought that sports radio as a whole, did a great job of pivoting and saying, all right, what are some sports related things that we can talk about? Some people like I gravitated towards like history, like sports history, talking about big picture issues, uh, talking about the Negro leagues, for example. And I found a real thirst for it, that there were, there were listeners that really loved delving into that history then as the year went on and you see all of these flashpoint moments in society Ahmaud Arbery you know like you see all of these stories until it gets to you know George Floyd's murder there was a space that was now opened up opened up where these were the things that were happening and sports as escapism was over because there there were no sports and we're here trying to make sense of it that that moment that you you referenced for me was it was probably the most emotional that I've ever been on the radio period in 23 years of experience in working in radio it's the most that I've ever like I basically like cut myself open and bled on the radio. I was in tears talking about some of these things because it like it still bothers me now. Like the way that the city was handled, the way that Chicago itself reacted. You called out the mayor. I know I know you were Yeah. I I I definitely called out the mayor. And I mean that's it, it and I had just seen the mayor. You know, at, I actually saw her at at the All Star game. Right. So that's the stuff I'm I'm saying. Like, did you? Does the score ever come in and be like, oh, maybe we should be a little less, whatever? Are, are you capable of just going on there and and doing that? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that where my history does play a role is that my program director knows that I'm not irresponsible. That even if I'm passionate about a subject, I'm not going to put uh, as as, as program directors would say, I'm not going to put the license in jeopardy. I'm not going to lose the station's license with what it is that I say. Right. But one of, the, one of the jobs that we have as talk show hosts, and usually sports is the, the toy department, but there are a lot of smart people that work in sports. I'm a citizen of Chicago. Right. You know, I, I, I live here. Right. So most, a lot of these things like affect me and I was able to talk about it. And I got what got me emotional was children and teaching. Like I, I kind of look at it through that lens and the idea of Chicago's children going hungry because the mayor had decided things are too dangerous for us to do the lunch program, the lunch pickup programs. 
even though most of those lunch pickup programs were not in the central business district, which had been cut off from the rest of the city because of the raising of the bridges. I thought it was, it was callous and it just kind of put me in a place of as a teacher, what's important to you. And the number one thing is the safety of your students. Mm -hmm. And and that's what it, 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 it hit me in such a way that I felt like I had a responsibility to say something. The beautiful thing that happened after me saying something, this is the power of, of when you do it right. And I'm not saying that I do it right all the time because there's plenty of times I don't, but I felt like that was one of those moments that could go either way. And I felt like I did it right. There was an immediate response. Restaurants said, hey, we're going to open ourselves up to CPS students to come grab a free lunch. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of different restaurants hit me up individually and said, hey, we want to join in on that. This is what we're doing. Direct people to us. Here's how people can donate money to pay for the lunches for students. And it ended up being a beautiful moment. Like as much as I, I sobbed on the air that day, I think I sobbed more in the aftermath of it because in the moments where we saw maybe some of our lesser traits as human beings, we saw our greatest ones. People wanting to chip in, people wanting to help, people wanting to take care of it. That morning, I had ridden around the south side on my bike. And I had ridden from, you know, my place in Hyde Park to South Shore to Kenwood to see what type of damage had been done. I get up pretty early. I was up riding at a quarter to seven in the morning. People were already cleaning up. People were already joining forces to, to clean up. And it was encouraging and inspiring. And it was, it was because of that, when you see that type of effort from community to try and put right, put back right, their neighborhoods, the idea that, that the children of those neighborhoods would then have to suffer as the neighborhood itself tries to clean up, I, it, it got to me. But I was... I was very encouraged that my, my station allowed me to have that space. They understood that I wouldn't abuse the, the trust that they had put in me. And I feel like it was worthwhile. And I felt that it was important radio that we ended up doing. For sure. hundred percent. So then Let's talk more on the positives now of, of, the, um, of the, this past year. What has been like a blessing in disguise for you during this time? Hmm. Something, because we, we all like are so focused, not that we want to, but you know, it's been a negative year. A lot of bad stuff happened, but there's good that comes out of everything. I, I've talked a little bit about this on the air and I, I've, forgive me if I get emotional, you know how I am. Like I get this way when I talk about my students, it's, I've been so impressed by students of all levels. We have asked the impossible, the absolute impossible from them. And whether it was my, my class that I had spring quarter 
or the class that I had this past fall, their enthusiasm for something that they didn't sign up for uh, has been pretty incredible. And to me, seeing that on every level, you know, college students, the high school students that their whole lives are were upended by this. I remember I didn't I, my house isn't too far from Mount Carmel High School. And I was out for a walk one day and I, I was like, why is there why are there cars on the football field? And then it dawned on me like they were doing a trial run of graduation. And you go, oh, this is what graduation looks like now. You know, all of these things that we took for granted, we have to we have to now change it up and we have to see. And I'm sure you're probably thinking about how this is going to work for you. Well, last year, I didn't end up having one for my bachelor's. I did it online, you know, at, with DePaul. They had us stare at a photo of us and a little 20 character, you know, word thing that we could type in there. And I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I want to walk. I want to be able to hug my professors that I love, like, and that, that were mentors for me. Like, I, I hated it. And now I'm getting my master's in June and I'm not going to walk again. Yeah, it sucks. Like, it really, really sucks. What I will tell you is that they're going to be, especially for you, like there's going to be more moments of triumph for you. I would hope, I hope not. I I mean, I hope so. I hope that, you know, that wasn't like, you know, my, yeah, Yeah, you're not, you're not going to peak when you walk across that stage, but, (laughs) but yeah, I, I understand. Like I recently got my master's. So, and I walked, so I, and I went specifically because I should have, you should have snuck and snuck over there with you and just went and seen like, you know, can I just, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a adopted daughter. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So I, I understand the feeling of it. Like, and, and it, and it's what we have, we continue to ask these students, yourself included to do the impossible and you keep rising to the occasion. Like, that's what's encouraging. Like it's, it's scary to me, the place that we found ourselves in over the last couple of years overall, yeah. but it's encouraging how, this you digital natives like your creativity is kind of paving the way for us to do some of this stuff now i think it has limits and i think that we're closing in on the limits of school being this way being taught this way there's only so much mental bandwidth that anyone has and it's understandable that students are at some point going to be like I'm exhausted. Like there's already been a ton of studies even before we got to the pandemic on what like video conferencing, being on Zoom, like what it does to you mentally. Now ask a a 19 year old to do that for four hours a day. Like while they're trying to get their education, it's an impossible ask. So the best part for me in 2020 was seeing the effort, seeing like the, and that first group, that group in spring, it was really impossible for them because they, at least with the fall, they knew what they were getting, right? The folks in the spring, it was like, wait, what? Like all of my classes are online. How is this going to work? We started 
finished, like we finished it because I was working with Carol Marine and Don Mosley for a class and we finished producing a story for WTTW all through Zoom, completely through Zoom. Like we did the reporting, we spoke to people in some, in a small town in Illinois, a random one, you know, like, and spoke to them about their, about how their small businesses were all affected by this and just, just all this stuff. And we finished it. I can't believe to this day, like we literally did everything on Zoom. I, and as you said, I didn't even know what Zoom was before that. So like, okay. it, it's just crazy. And I, you said everything like that I'm feeling like we take, we took those small things for granted, like hopping off of the L and walking over and physically seeing our, our, you know, our desks and our, our just, just things like normal things in life that we took for granted. And it's like, I never want to take that for granted again. And I think that's, that's definitely a blessing in disguise in itself. Just seeing that those simple things that, you know, life and humans and the connection, the physical connection with people that right now we don't have, like, I couldn't imagine if I didn't have class with you, like physically in normal times. It would, it would be like with, with us in particular, I think about when we were talking about, um, logging games, like how in the world would that conversation have even have happened where we're, we're now sitting there watching a game and logging a game together. I, I mean, I guess it probably like I, we could have done something via zoom. But that but was yes. more simple. Cause we were already there. You put on the bear, like the, whatever fourth quarter, whatever it was that we were looking at to log to, to practice. And it's just different. You, you see the person online. It's not, I don't know. There's also benefits too. Now that people are home more often, you could contact people a little easier because we're yes. not about. So like we said, there are blessings within that. I don't know. There's some there's some trade-offs, but I I do think that we're we're dangerously close to everyone's like wits end right. at, at making this work uh, as effectively as in-person stuff or even what was happening at the beginning. I think that at the beginning of this, if we go back to like March, April, May, there was an adrenaline spike yeah. that everyone was like, okay. <laughs> okay, like I want to stay safe and we have to try and, and work through all of this stuff. But I think that between the pandemic, the summer of protests and the election, yep. that adrenaline's gone. Like we've, we've all, everyone, every single person has, has wasted, not wasted, but has used up all of their it's like playing a video game and hitting the turbo button. We, we hit the turbo button for seven months. And at the end of it, there's nothing left. Like there's nothing left. Like all of us are running on fumes. So the hope is that, th that these vaccinations are going to kind of figuratively and literally breathe new life into the, the world. And, we all have to kind of grab these little teeny tiny moments of joy and success mm -hmm. and, or like, Oh, it's 48 degrees in Chicago in February. Yay. Like uh, I can actually find a parking space on the street now. Like all of that, you have to take those little teeny tiny moments and like hold them very close to you. Very. For sure. And it's like during this time, have you, everyone had more downtime in some way, shape or form. And people have been getting into things they never thought they would. So have you gotten into anything weird or interesting that you never thought you would in this last year? 
Well, the 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 biking thing was not something that I had been doing. But I don't think that's new. Like, I feel like I had seen you posting walks and, and adventures on your stories pre-COVID already. Yes. Like, I was, I was a runner. Like, I was someone yeah. who, who loved to run. I loved to take long walks, like that sort of thing. Right. And I had my bike, but I was never, like, riding it, riding it. Like, you know, you ride it from here to there, like, ha, ha, ha. And it became, like, my salvation. It so was a healthy habit. Yes, it was one of the, the healthier habits that I had. Uh, one of the unhealthy habits that That's I picked up. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the, the interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, Not I, that riding a bike isn't, but something like, something fun. I, I was never someone who binged television, and I started doing that. And you got like, I, I'm a big sci-fi geek, so I started watching uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, Star Trek Picard. I watched all of that. The show that I'm binging now is called Warrior. It's I on. Saw, uh, yeah, on your Twitter, um, your bestie. Yes, Afia. Yeah. Yes, like she she hit me to it, and that show is like off the wall. Like if you're young and you're listening or watching us, don't watch that without your parents' permission. But but if you're an adult, you 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 should watch it. It's really good, and it tells a really. I learned something that I didn't know. Um, the show takes place in 1870s, 1880s San Francisco, and it's about Chinese immigrants who come to work there and kind of the butting of heads between Chinese immigrants and Irish immigrants okay. that are working in in San Francisco. Like the Chinese immigrants, it's happening right now. Yeah. Irish immigrants had immigrated over, you know, 30, 40, 50 years prior. They feel entitled to it's very it's very interesting the way to see it all play out. And what I didn't know, well, the, the little piece of knowledge, like I was literally sitting there going, I had no idea that that happened. And I have a degree in history. I didn't know that there were enslaved Chinese people in Cuba. What? Exactly. When? This is in the 1860s. And so, so as it, they brought it up, there's probably like uh, a few hundred people were brought over and diverted from landing in America. They land in Cuba and become enslaved. I thought it was a plot device. And I was like, is that real? And so I started doing research and it's a hundred percent real that that happened. That's crazy. I might have to check that out. Um, I got into old stuff that I used to watch when I was little. I started relapsing and nostalgic memories and like, like what things I binge watch when I was little, like every day before school, like baby Bella would watch Saved by the Bell all the time. Sure. So rewatch Saved by the Bell. And I started rewatching Gas Girl, One Tree Hill, all the shows that I watched growing up through my childhood to teenage years. But then Bella went crazy and binge watched all of power and power book two within two weeks. And I, it was the two weeks of winter break. Cause that's the only free time I had. Cause I'm working like the two jobs and the masters and all that. So I never had time to watch anything. And my friends are like, okay, you're not normal because like you are never, you don't have time to watch a show. Like, you know, you're home. I'm like, yeah, I'm home, but I'm like doing work like things. 
So I started binge watching power and then the three friends that I would constantly text about it probably didn't want to even see my name at their phone. <laughs> I was done watching power because they knew like I was so into it. Have you watched power? I, yes and no. Like I don't watch it linearly like i've seen episodes of power no you're gonna watch all of it lawrence like all right so now i gotta put that on the list i gotta put power on the list that's next on your list not just on the list that's that's like right right after warrior it's it's that like and you're gonna tell me like every time something crazy happens which is like all the time but you're gonna like update me on everything you think all right all right i'll take that challenge on yes but you got to do it before the canaan rising can raising canaan or whatever comes out in june so so, so wait, who's ghost right hand man on the show? Tommy. Tommy is like a huge scorehead. Like he listens to the radio show. He's from Chicago. No way. Yeah, I know that because I we interviewed him a couple years ago. Oh, my um, God. but yeah, like he's a huge like Chicago sports fan. The white like you're saying Tommy, the yeah. white guy, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, like he's from, he's from Chicago. Like he listened, he used to listen to the station growing up, like the whole nine yards. I didn't know that. See, like Tommy, that's a character that at first I was like, okay. And then like he becomes one of your favorite characters somehow. All right. Well, I will I will take notes as I binge Ghost power and power awesome. book two. Yes. Ghost is my favorite, which is an unpopular opinion because a lot of people start hating him towards like later on. I don't know, but I love Ghost and I was, you know. Actually, I can't continue talking, so I'm gonna like ruin it. So yeah, don't don't do spoilers yeah. for me. I'll I'll watch the I'll watch the series and see what I think. I was gonna ask which one, like one of them was your reaction to the NBC Sports situation. Okay. Then um, basically, like, did you ever think back during this year because we've had more time to think and you know anxious emotions? Like, did you ever think like, oh, is there something I I wish I would have done or wouldn't have done? Like something you would change in your career? All right, I'll answer both of those questions for okay. you. I'll answer the second one first. Yes. The, I've been planning like in my mind, like a bunch of sports activities that I wanted to travel to. Like I want to go see army Navy play, for example, I've never done that. I've kind of always wanted to do that. I want to go see college football in the mountains, like go to air force or Utah because the backdrop of the stadiums are so beautiful. And I am put at peace when I am around mountains. This is what I figured out about myself. I, I had a house in Phoenix for a while where I would snowbird it to in the winter, which over the last few winters, I have absolutely missed. Like I sold it back in 2013. Um, but I, I absolutely miss being able to just be like, I think I'm going to spend the weekend in Phoenix. And then just literally grabbing my jacket and going to the airport oh like I missed that like that was because I had like it, it was my place so there's clothes there there's right. all you sorts of stuff. pick up and go that I I love like and the mental ability like it it was so freeing to even go do I want to go to Phoenix this weekend would you do it now like are you opposed to flying though during the pandemic or I'm not ready yet like there are two things like this is I haven't eaten out yet and I haven't gotten on a plane. And my friend Sierra, she said to me, she goes, hey, are you going to come out for spring training? And I'm like, no. <laughs> one of all, one, it doesn't make any difference at this point because all the press conferences are on Zoom. Secondly, I don't, 
I don't know. Like, I, I'm uncomfortable, but I've taken steps. Like, I've, I've been trying to take steps. Like, I've gone back into the studio to do the radio show. Over the last month, I've kind of, I'll do one or two shows a week in the studio. I have found out that I prefer working in the studio. I don't like doing the radio show from home. Well, figured that out. So, yeah. so, so traveling overall, but specifically sports stuff, like stuff that I've put off, mm-hmm. different stadiums that I've wanted to see and watch a game in. And what sucks is I had planned on going to see, I haven't been to um, AT&T Park in San Francisco yet. Okay. And the White Sox were playing there where they were supposed to play there last year. And that was like my big birthday trip that I was going to take. And obviously, like, couldn't do right. that. <laughs> Um, to answer your question about NBC. Before you do that. Sure. You mentioned you haven't eaten out yet. So you're, that means you're cooking at home. What are you? No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, that's the bad habit. The bad habit is I didn't have Uber Eats or Grubhub before the pandemic. Oh. And once I learned to use it now, like it is ridiculous. Like my. Uber oh, you're, Grub- out, you're just not eating outside. Yes. Like okay. I'm not going to your restaurant is what, is what <laughs> okay. I'm not sitting down in your restaurant is, is what I'm saying. I was gonna say That's commitment to be cooking for that long. Cause there was a certain point up until like May or June, I had not ordered coffee from outside of last year. I had not eaten anything. We'd get the groceries, we'd wipe them down with alcohol and then we'd make our own food. But once summer hit, I was like, I'm ordering. Gotta go out. Yeah, I, I I will say that my cooking game has taken a step up. Like I've been doing some cool stuff. Like, yeah, on, on your on the gram. Yeah, I've been I I'm I'm better at that than I thought I was. So that's cool. But yeah, that's my honestly, like most of my money is going to Uber Eats and to yeah. Grubhub. So that's something that that definitely has to change. Okay, so we cleared that up. Now we can go on to the next. All right. The um, the, the NBC thing, it, Bella, I won't lie to you. Like it hurt. Like it, the reason that it hurt so bad was I had felt like we were building something really cool at NBC. The football after show itself, I thought was tremendous. I worked with four great guys, Owen Crutes, Alex Brown, Lance Briggs, Matt Forte on the set. And then behind the scenes, like the crew that put the show together, my man Slavko, my man Eric, like they, they made it so fun. We would sit there and watch games. I'm watching Bears games with four Bears legends. Like, it's great. It was the first time in a long time that I felt a sense of family at work. Like, I do a show by myself. My crew is my family. And you could tell when you're watching. Like, yeah, the way you guys bonded and the way you guys talked, like it was all gen- genuine, like you could tell. It, and it's fun. Like I covered all of those guys. Like, so they're they're used to me, like they know me. Yeah. So they they know how to interact with me. They know how to play with me like they it's good. It, it was really, really good. So it it made me really sad. I understood it. Like I I don't hold NBC like I'm not mad. Like I, this happened across the country. It wasn't personal. It wasn't specific in the moment. It felt kind of personal, but you, you spend some time to mourn it and work through it. Like, I hope that there are a lot of people over there that I hope to work with again. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a testament to how great the people were over there. So it sucked. Like it really sucked. Like football season came around 
it was hard to not be a part of that. Because you so were that, it for a good couple of years, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there a total of four years, kind of off and on, and then the last year was like there was a show in development. Like I, me, and David Kaplan were going to do like a Chicago version of PTI. Okay. Like that was the plan, and I mean, it was it was a moment like in my career. I was like, wow, am I going to keep doing radio? Like I, I legitimately was thinking is, is the work that they're going to ask me to do going to eventually take me away from doing radio. So it was difficult to say the least to, to walk away from that and all the other people that got laid off. Like it was for sure, but you are lucky because like you, every Sunday you're speaking nationally on, on CBS sports radio, you still are on the score. You have your own podcast that has a huge outreach. So you have all these other things going. So it's easier to like, be like, all right, whereas some people were let go and then they really didn't have anything else. Yeah. Like that, I got to tell you that one of the reasons that I built house of L was for the situation that happened at NBC sports, Chicago, that what happens if, my platform is taken away from remember me. you saying that yeah it's that. important like people need to have a space where they can do what they can and i'm a firm believer that not everyone because people overall are lazy but most of the people who enjoy what it is that you do they'll come find you like they'll they'll want to support exactly. what it is that you do and i've seen that with with house of l and with the radio show so I, I truly hope to work with the people that I worked with at NBC Sports Chicago again. And it was a definite gut punch. And, and Bella, you know what? It is the first time in my career that I've been laid off or fired. Which is a hell of a career because you're very far into it and that fact that it's never happened before, you know, so I was just kind of sitting there like, oh, wow, that's weird. Like, I'm not going to be there anymore. Like, what do I do now? Yeah. And it, it just worries us new, new kids coming into the field to be like, all right. So these people who are actually like big names in sports, people we look up to, and then what the hell is going to happen for us going into this shit show after COVID? Like, you know. It it, it happens to all of us. Okay. I was lucky. I was an outlier that it hadn't happened to me. Yeah. And, and I was very lucky. I'll just say that my agent wrote a really great contract. (laughs) So even though I got laid off, I wasn't destitute. It was a really good financial situation after being laid off. And, but, but know that no matter who you are, it's some, it's rare that you get to just retire at the place that you were at. Yeah. So you have to be able to, to adapt yeah. and grow and to change. And I have faith that you can do that. All of my students, I feel like you can do that. Like you all are capable. The emotional part, and I'll have to put this into the curriculum now going forward, like that aspect of the, the, the industry mm-hmm. and what it feels like. I now have firsthand experience that I can share with students on what it's like to get that phone call from HR and 
them tell you, okay, so here's what happens with your 401k. Here's what all of this stuff where you're like, what's happening? Like you're, you're trying to make sense of it all. It's not an easy thing to do. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much. It was amazing to speak with you as always. Nothing new. Um, but I hope you take care and that everything is going to be going well. Enjoy your workout at your, at your gym there. If you end up doing that today, cause I know you, you like reserve your, your spot now, right? Yeah, I do that in the morning. And what's great is oh, okay. they have, there's 12 spots open. Like I can do it. <laughs> it's on an app. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what you're they have 12 spots open and every morning I just look to see six, seven, eight o'clock. Cause that's about the time when I could work out how many people were in the gym. And if it says 12, 12 open, boom, hitting that. And I did that this morning and I walked in and the person who runs the gym was like, the gym is all yours. You're the only one who's going to be here. And I was like, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's great. That, that's awesome. Well, that I, I definitely have started trying to work out more often. We'll see where that goes and how, how It'll much be easier now. Like you can get outside. You can yeah. get 10,000 steps outside now. Yeah. It'll be easier. That, that month where the month of February, where it's just been, it's sub-zero and it snowed five inches. It snowed five inches. Now it's sub-zero again. Like that cycle, I, I think, did a lot of damage to the Chicagoans. Yes. And I'm so grateful, like, I'm going to go sit in the living room and open the door to my balcony today. I don't care. That it's only 45 degrees, 45 it's degrees. Summer sounds summer. like summertime. Yeah. It's summer for us. Yep. Exactly. I put on ribbed jeans today. I was like, we're, we're doing it today. That's right. That's right. And that's the, the, those little small moments. Like I was saying, you have to grab them and hold on to them. Once we like, once it's sunny out, I'm like, it's all good. As long as it's sunny and blue, I'm good with that. Yeah. And if there's not a lot of wind, you're good. Cause you could layer up, but it's like the clouds, you can't really do anything about, but the, you know, with sunshine, I, I'm feeling good. So good. That's important. Take a little bit of that in. You need the vitamins. Yes. Much yes. of it. Cause then you get burned, but. What bit- happened to me last year and I couldn't even like water <laughs> couldn't touch my skin without me like crying. Yes. That's problematic. It was bad, but it's okay. Anyways. At this point, I'm just hoping for a much better summer. Um, I'm hoping this year is going to be much better. And I'm hoping soon enough we will meet again in person because I guess like 12 million years. So it will feel that way because time is completely changed in the way that it works now. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. For sure. Thank you for, for coming on.